The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Hedman. Dr. Hedman Renee is on the call. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hedman. How are you? I'm doing well, Dr. Loon. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure to have you on. I'm so excited to share your story because I've been watching from the sidelines for a while now, but I know I don't know it as well as you do. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you so much. That is definitely true. I have been following you as well (laughs) since I found out about the IMG Roadmap. So I'm really excited to pay it forward to those who are listening because I've definitely benefited from listening to people you've interviewed in the past. So I am Renee Hedman. I am an incoming categorical obstetrics and gynecology intern. I'll be graduating from St. George's University School of Medicine in May of this year, 2021, and I'm very excited for that, (laughs) the culmination of this journey. I am a first-generation American, the daughter of two proud Jamaican immigrants, and I am the first one in my family to pursue a medical degree. I've always wanted to be a doctor for as long as I can remember, so I was pretty unafraid and basically unashamed to exhaust all options and resources to get where I felt to be. Uh, where I felt I was called to be in the field of medicine. That is so amazing. I'm sure your parents must be very proud of you. So can you tell us, you mentioned being a categorical income in PGY-1. So some people listening will be thinking, is there more than one way to be a PGY-1 in, in obstetrics and gynecology? So can you expand a little bit on that? Yes, sure. That's something I actually learned during the application process. I had never heard of a preliminary PGY-1 or first-year resident for obstetrics and gynecology. I thought prelim years were only for surgical residents and um, transitional years, certain specialties. But no, there is a preliminary option for matching into obstetrics and gynecology where you match as a first-year resident, but it's preliminary. So you don't get, you're not guaranteed to continue as a second-year resident and throughout the program naturally as if you were a categorical OBGYN uh, first-year resident. Yeah. So some people are going to have questions about this. So Mm -hmm. when a person applies into obstetrics and gynecology, what you're saying is there's two pathways. One is where you apply in for a direct four-year position at one facility, meaning that once you match on match day, that person is going to start from PGY-1 to PGY-4 in one program without having to participate in the match again. Now, there is another track called a preliminary track, which I think a lot of my listeners may not be familiar with, especially for OBGYN. Can you explain a little bit about the different types of preliminary tracks that are applicable for OBGYN? Like, would they do an OBGYN preliminary year or do they have to do like an internal medicine preliminary year? Like, can you explain a little bit more about what you learned from your process? Sure. Yes. From what I saw, the OBGYN preliminary year is completely optional. It's not required to get into a four-year program continuously, as you mentioned. It is 
exclusively just one year preliminary OBGYN in hopes of securing a, a spot in that four year program continuously the next application cycle. I'm sure that there are also people who apply family medicine or internal medicine, um, maybe preliminary, maybe for a for the three years of that program and then tried to apply again for OBGYN if that's really where they want to be. But it's not a requirement to apply into obstetrics and gynecology for your program to have a OBGYN prelinear. But it's it's a way to get a foot in the door, possibly a shine in that program and let people see you so that you can get that spot for that four-year continuous program next cycle. So do you recommend that maybe another applicant that's going through this process should consider preliminary positions as well as categorical positions? So for me personally, I didn't want to do preliminary if I had the opportunity to do categorical. But I do believe that you really have to weigh your options. You have to think of what is your what is your reason for applying to obstetrics and gynecology? Is it because you don't want to do anything else? You can't see yourself doing anything else? If that is the case and you don't believe that you will have a good shot of getting a categorical position, then I would recommend doing prelim as well, applying both. But maybe put your, when you're ranking, rank your categorical programs higher up and put your preliminary programs lower down. But for somebody who sees themselves as potentially doing primary care, family medicine, internal medicine, as opposed to exclusively obstetrics and gynecology, then I would recommend just applying to those programs where you know you're guaranteed to continue and complete your residency in one shot. Because there are, on the real, on the real side of this, there are people who continuously go through preliminary years and preliminary years and have to basically start again in a primary care program, for instance, to make it, to break it down a little bit uh, simpler, people can go through one year or two years of being in a preliminary specialty, whether it's surgery or obstetrics and gynecology, and never match for a categorical spot in that specialty and then end up matching into a internal medicine or family medicine program and basically become an intern all over again after being a preliminary resident for one year or two years. So, And that can be very disheartening and very frustrating. So you really have to know your reason for applying to that preliminary spot to weigh the cost of that. Okay, that's a good point. Thank you for sharing that. So a lot of people that are listening on right now may be interested in OBGYN or even other surgical or combo specialties. So, you know, a little bit of OB, a little bit of surgical and non-surgical alike. What are some tips? Maybe how about we start first with your journey? Can you share your story with us? Like what your performance in school was, USMLE mm-hmm. performance and how you factored in or planned your rotations so as to really make yourself a competitive applicant for the specialty? Yeah, sure. That all plays plays a role. For me, I knew that in medical school, I did well in medical school, but for step one, I didn't get as high of a step one score as I would have wanted to. So I knew I wanted to make sure that I stood out in my clinical rotations. I wanted to make sure that I had programs that I was a part of while I was in medical school that highlighted my interest in the field of obstetrics gynecology. So I took part in many 
extracurricular activities. I took part in research opportunities. Even though I didn't publish, I took part in research that was available in the field um, with breast cancer and um, cervical cancer screening. I had that exposure and that experience on my resume as well. One of the things that really benefited me throughout my journey was my performance during my clinical rotations, during my core rotations at one hospital where I basically completed all of my my core rotations, that's internal medicine, down the gamut, peds, and specifically obstetrics and gynecology, I made sure that I'm, I let everybody know that I was interested in obstetrics and gynecology so that I could let them know that I want to learn more, that I'm interested, that I will spend the time to figure out what this field has to offer and so that I could show myself as someone who's interested and aware of the work that needs to go into being a competent and capable potential employee at that hospital or at that program. So that was really important to show that you were interested, to show that I was motivated and driven. Moving forward, when it came to applying for residency, I was definitely taking great steps to make sure that my step two was stronger. So I definitely looked into tutoring. That was a big help for me for my step two prep. And I saw a great jump from my step one to my step two uh, score. I, it was a 20 point increase. So that was a that was a definitely a, a strong plus for me. It made me feel more confident going forward into applying. But one thing that I remember asking Dr. Lim about, which which was really helpful, I messaged you on Instagram because with the pandemic, everything got shifted. My courses It was like a four-month offset for my plan for my clinical rotation. So I didn't actually get to schedule my step two in time to have the scores released prior to applying for all the programs that I applied to. But you encouraged me that it wouldn't necessarily be a deterrent as long as my scores would be released during the application cycle. And so I'm glad I listened and I didn't postpone applying this cycle because of that. There was so much uncertainty that was circling around this application cycle. So really, one thing I had to hone in on was just my understanding that this is something that I wanted for myself and not listening to all the maybes or could have or what could possibly happen that could deter me from continuing to pursue applying for this application cycle. But yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy that I, I followed through with that. I applied to 99 <laughs> categorical OBGYN programs, being that I am an IMG. St. George University recommends that we apply to over 100 programs, but realistically, some of the programs were in places that I didn't necessarily want to uproot and move move to. So I settled for 99 <laughs> programs to apply to, and I received three interviews with the statistics, the 99 to receiving three interviews, it, it's, it's low, but it, I held on to the, the fact that I believed I only needed one. I only needed one interview so that I could get, show myself as interested and passionate so that I can get into that program. So having three was a huge relief for me because unfortunately the truth of the matter is that there are some who don't receive any interviews. So I would have been grateful for one out and I'm very grateful for the three that I received. And now I'm here. Wow. That's such an amazing story because you know, I have some people that have sent me in direct messages as well on Instagram and they're, you know, interested in OB and some other specialties and they're worried maybe because their step one performance was low 
or they didn't get to do a sub I or acting internship or that they didn't have a, an OBGYN to write them a letter of recommendation. And so the easier thing to do most times is people want to procrastinate. They want to put it out to the future. Mm-hmm. What do you say about those things? Did you have an LOR from OBs and how many and how many is recommended and, you know, sub I's? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I definitely understand the hesitancy. That's that's what I hear from my colleagues. That's what I hear from people who are younger than me. They are all nervous about the quality of the application. For me personally, I was only able to do one OBGYN sub-I and that letter of recommendation, I did not receive one from <laughs> that sub-I because it, I did it so close to applying to residency. I did receive a letter of recommendation from an OBGYN from my core rotation because that was done much earlier on, but I only had one letter of recommendation from an OBGYN. When I was looking at the requirements, it was recommended that you receive letters of recommendation from a diverse population of, of specialties. So it wasn't recommended that you get all of your letters of recommendation from OBGYN exclusively. So I had one from PEDS, I had one from Psych, and I had one from OBGYN. And that was sufficient. That, that fit the requirement. And um, for me, I was focused on making sure that I got letters of recommendation that were reflective of who I was. I wanted to make sure that it would be good and quality, not just specialty specific, because if it wasn't a quality letter of recommendation, I felt like it wouldn't do my it wouldn't enhance my application. And that's what it was all about, making sure that my application was reinforced with things that demonstrated the positives about my candidacy. So I, I tried not to to think of it as a deterrent that I didn't have more than one OBGYN letter of recommendation. If I had another one, I think that would have been great, but it wasn't, it wasn't an absolute for me. And I, it wasn't an absolute requirement in general either. I did do a sub I, and even though I didn't get a letter of recommendation from it, I did make sure that I performed very well in that elective rotation. As I mentioned before, even during my core rotation, I made sure I was there, I was present, I was engaged. And after that rotation was finished, I was told that I'd be guaranteed an interview. And that is the hospital that I eventually matched into. So even though I didn't, that didn't materialize into a letter of recommendation, it materialized into an interview. So make use of every opportunity. Don't get discouraged because it's not materializing exactly how you think it should be present and show up and, and, and make sure that you're focusing on what you can get out of that experience. Yeah. I find that really interesting. So like in your case, you know, getting three interviews and then out of 90, obviously, and then you eventually match at the one that you did have a sub I, or you had some kind of clinical experience with, I should say, because it could have been a rotation, but in your case, it was an elective sub I. So do you think that you would recommend for others to use that same approach as far as even if you don't get a sub I for a letter, you should be able to work as hard so that maybe, in fact, you may be considered for interview. What do you say about that? I wholeheartedly recommend that. People who are asking me now, I tell them to definitely make sure you are applying for electives in different hospitals so that you get your exposures, that you get your face out there. Because just as you um, pointed out, Dr. Loom, even though it's not possibly 
for a letter of recommendation. It could be for an interview and possibly for a spot on, in their program. Make use of that FaceTime. Get to know the residents. Ask questions of the attendings. Get to know the program directors because when you're at that hospital, that's when you get to know and meet the program directors. That's when you get to meet the attendings. And essentially, this is where you get to figure out if this is even a place that you would like to work for the next four years as an OBGYN. So it's a great way to get a feel for a program. And even if you don't necessarily find it to be a match, you can figure out things that you are going to look forward to in a possible program, what the things that you're looking for in a program. All these experiences are very valuable, even if, even if you're doing them after the time allotted for a potential garnering of a letter of recommendation. I would recommend definitely doing these elective rotations to showcase yourself for an interview. You know, I agree with that 100% because I feel like some amount of exposure with a program can really benefit IMGs because a lot of times some programs are maybe apprehensive about IMGs, but once they've had experience with either an alumni from your school or even just by working with you and seeing your own work ethic, it usually says a lot about a person to where scores become sort of a minor criteria after a person has worked with you because they could see, well, this person is a lot better at the bedside. They have the skill set for it. They're willing to learn and I want to teach them. And that just makes for a really good likability factor between the student or the doctor for those who've already graduated and the program. I mean, what do you say about that? I agree. I I was nervous going into every one of my rotations because even though being a student at St. George University, a lot of the hospitals that we rotate in, there are a lot of IMGs there. There are also U.S. grads, there are DOs there. Um, not all of the residents are internal med are. Uh, international medical school graduates. Some of them are U.S. grads, and some of the attend most of the attendings are U.S. grads. So there was that intimidation factor going in, feeling um, that stigma of being an IMG, going into spaces that they might think of you as less qualified or less intelligent as their U.S grad counterparts. And one thing that I had to tell myself is that, but you're here to learn. You're here to show them that you're passionate about this, that there are things that you obviously don't know because you have not been practicing (laughs) in this field for as long as they have, but you're here to glean knowledge from them. So I really had to give myself a lot of pep talks going into these uh, spaces, but it was valuable and it was necessary. And at the end of the day, just as you said, when they see how you show yourself available and enthusiastic and motivated in the present, no one's asking you what your step score is. They're seeing how you're ready to jump in and assist, how you're ready to help and be helpful in those moments. And they remember your name. Totally, totally, totally agree with that. So one more question. Somebody listening may be wondering, how do we get these electives or sub-I's? And they're in another Caribbean school and they're thinking, I mean, how did you get that? How can they find those opportunities? Do you have any advice? Yes, I would definitely look at the hospitals. Go to the hospitals. A lot of the hospitals have a student link for education 
first so that you can figure out the critical coordinators for that hospital that you can contact. St. George has actually provided a list for us, but there were some hospitals that didn't have affiliation with our school that we could contact the clinical coordinators directly. Sometimes you had to go through your school's clinical coordinator, so you can even start there. Reach out to your school's coordinator and see if they have a list of schools or hospitals that are offering spots to to students from your school and reach out that way. And sometimes it takes a while. So definitely jump ahead of time, like not just a week or two before you're interested in scheduling that rotation. Months in advance, figure out how you can get in contact with those hospitals and those clinical coordinators so that you can get a position and get a spot for that elective rotation in advance because the paperwork, it it often takes, it takes some time. Yeah, I I agree. And those that don't have medical, so, you know, obviously there's IMGs mostly from the Caribbean, but you have from other countries as well. You know, this may be an opportunity for you to maybe do the work on your own as far as using Google, Frida, Residency Explorers, all these arenas to reach out and figure out if there are any of such observership opportunities for you. So let's get into some more stuff. Now, let's talk about how you decided to write and design your personal statement for OBGYN. Are there some tips that you would share with those that are listening that are thinking, well, I'm interested in OB. How does she do that? How does she create her statement? You've told us already, you know, you got three diverse letters. Only one of them was from an OBGYN. You got one from a pediatrician and you got one from family medicine, which are indeed applicable fields for OB because as an OBGYN, if you deliver a baby, it's taken care of by a pediatrician, so you work closely with them. And family physicians can either refer complicated OB cases to you and so on and so forth. And it just speaks to the general practice of medicine also. But let's talk about your statement. What are some things that you recommend that the writer of, like the student that's interested in OB should consider when they're writing their personal statement for the specialty? Yes, that is a a good question because the personal statement is one of the hardest things for me. I'm not a writer, so that was something that I spent a lot of time working on. And what it boiled down to me for was the why. Why was I choosing this specialty? Once I was able to communicate that I was passionate about making an impact in the lives of women and mothers in any community that I wanted to serve in or I was elected to serve in, Everything else flowed from that. All of my uh, volunteer experiences abroad, the interactions that I had with my female patients, whether it was in my OBGYN specialty or not, it all tied back to making that impact in that community and that specific patient population. You don't have to pull exclusively from your obstetrics and gynecology rotations because maybe by the time you are applying, you haven't taken one, but you have encountered women, mothers, you have seen surgeries, and you could speak to how that surgical component really intrigues you. And you could speak to how the the diverse patient, well, even though it's just women, there is a, a diversity within that population because you're seeing women at the start of their reproductive age up until the end of their reproductive age. So you can speak to what intrigues you about the specialty and figure out how all of the volunteer job clinical research experiences that you've had tie back to that. It really, it re- it's really important to have that unifying why, um, because that's the question that you're going to get asked <laughs> when you're in your interviews. The first question you're going to get asked is why OBGYN? 
So it's good to, to explain it and, and elaborate on it from the personal statement and build on it from your interview. Yes, I absolutely agree with all those points that you've shared as well. So most people right now that are just kind of going through the motions, preparing for September 2021 match, they're probably thinking, I don't have my ECFMG certificate. I haven't done CK yet. I am not ready. I only have a step one score. I don't have any OBGYN experience yet. Am I even qualified to apply this year? What are your thoughts on that? What is your advice that you'd give someone that's sitting here right now, listening to us as we share this message sometime in April of 2021? And they're just thinking, I'm not ready. Like, I don't have everything that I want to have to be competitive. What are you going to tell them? Well, (laughs) I would tell them to honestly think about what it would take for them to be competitive. If it's taking their CK in time to have a score that they are confident about for application cycle, find the tutor, take the time out to do it. If it is booking that elective rotation so that you can get more exposure, maybe not for a letter of recommendation, but for possibly showing yourself to that program for an interview, securing an interview, do that. Write down what it is that's standing in the gap between where you are and where you want to be and address those things. If you don't believe that you can address those things in time, then that is telling you what you need to know. But don't let the overwhelming unknown of, oh, this is what I need. This is what I need. When I applied, it was during a a pandemic. I was studying for CS when CS got canceled. And then another pathway was opened up. There were so many things that were thrown at us while we were trying to apply, but we persevered because we were determined. I was determined. I was passionate about why I wanted to pursue what I was pursuing in this season. One thing I got told in all three of my interviews by at least one physician as I spoke was, wow, I can tell you're really passionate about this. It makes a difference. Know why you're doing it and don't allow the unknown or uncertainty to stop you because it's always going to come up. So make a list and tackle it. And if it can't be tackled, then that that's saying something for this year. But if it can be tackled, address it and push forward for 2021. I agree with you 100% because I don't know what it feels like to apply and prepare for the match in the middle of a pandemic because it was a year, 2020 was a year of new things for all of us. And having to go through the motions of everything we knew how to do was just changed overnight. And so many policies changed and pathways were created for ECFMG certification. And that was a new thing. And then there wasn't just one or two, it was like four or five pathways. So I really think that it's taken a brand of resilience for IMGs who continue to beat the odds with the match process. Because more than ever before, we're seeing this steady increase of international medical students and graduates getting into different programs across different specialties. But we're not speaking much about the resilience that it takes and the heart that it takes. And I know that you personally, you're very vocal about your faith and you're vocal about what you stand for and what you believe in. Can you give us some final words of encouragement for anyone that's just feeling like they're just down and under and they can't take any more change? They can't take any more disappointment. What are some thoughts that you have for them? I would definitely say that I lived by the scripture and summarized it goes, all things work together for my good. 
there are so many times where I was saying, Renee, you are rushing ahead or, oh, how are you competitive with that step one score? But I just, I didn't feel as though that was reason enough to stop going. People have done it before with varied step scores, with varied clinical experiences, with varied research opportunities, varied exposures. Somebody has done it before with worse circumstances in a, than you. <laughs> so I honestly don't believe that. And I chose not to believe that that meant that I was to be counted out. There would be one program who saw that my passion was enough to push me forward and improve their, the quality of care of, of women and mothers in that area to bring something special to that program. If this is what you want, be encouraged. It's rough. Find support. I would encourage you to look into mentorship. I wish I had it earlier on. Look on social media. That's how I found Dr. Loom and so many other brilliant, phenomenal physicians who were willing to guide students through this process because it is very stressful. And as Dr. Loom said, it requires a certain amount of resilience and you don't have to do it alone. Just keep putting your best foot forward and it'll all work together for your good. If this is where you believe you are called to be, don't stop until you get there. It will not be easy, but I'm here as a testament of it was not easy, but I made it. So that means you can too. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that word of positivity there. Now, when I did you know, invite you on to interview with me today. I usually ask everybody this question and I ask them, what challenges have you overcome as an IMG? Because really the whole point of my podcast is to show other IMGs that despite challenges, despite the odds, there are students and doctors out there that are basically paving a way for themselves. And that should serve as an encouragement for you, the listener, to, you know, pave your own path. Don't fall into the hype of, what everybody thinks is possible or impossible. Like, why don't you create your own medical success story? And that being said, you answered, you said, you know, as an IMG, you've had to overcome the questions that came with deciding to attend a medical school in the Caribbean for one, and then the fear of failure and staying true to your intentions and not letting other people's doubts influence your choices. So can you give us some background as to why you answer that question that way? Sure. That's one thing I mentioned in the beginning that I was unashamed to exhaust all options to get to where I wanted to be, which was to become a doctor. And that was confusing to a lot of people. Not many people are familiar with the process of medical school or becoming a doctor in the Caribbean community where I come from. A lot of women and men are nurses, but not too many of us are physicians, especially none in my generation. So it was very confusing when I would tell people that I applied to medical school in Puerto Rico or in Grenada. They were just saying, aren't there medical schools in the U.S.? And the confusion that they had as to why do you have to go over there to get to medical school? It was it was very discouraging for me at times because I was just excited for the opportunity when I got that acceptance into St. George University, regardless that it was in Grenada, I was finally elated that I got the opportunity to pursue something that I've always wanted and where other people closed the door, St. George's opened the door for me to, to go forward in that. So when my family and friends and some of the people in my community were looking at me with a frown face, like, wait, where are you going? And why can't you just do it here in America? It was 
embarrassing sometimes to say because I didn't get accepted <laughs> into the school in the U.S., but it was the truth. And I had to move forward from that and let that go because it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be embarrassed about. At the end of the day, we're all pursuing the same passion to take care of patients wherever we are serving. As physicians, we are all called to the same oath. We're all called to the same role. So at the end of the day, I just this was just this place that gave me the opportunity to do that. So I really had to shake that out of my head and, and stop attaching other people's confusion and, and uncertainty onto my um, knowledge that this is what I needed to do and this is where I had to be. So in addition to that came with obstetrics and gynecology, because it's such a, a competitive field, a lot of people told me, you need a backup, you need a backup, you need a backup. And that was very frustrating for me, too, because I could not see myself doing anything except for obstetrics and gynecology. And I know that's not the story for everybody. And I applaud those, those, them as well. But for me personally, I just wanted to be an OBGYN. So I had to limit the amount of conversations I had with certain people because I knew that the conversation would be a discouraging one. And I had to hone in on the fact that I knew why I was doing this and I knew where I was called to be. And I couldn't let other people's doubts and fears influence my understanding of where I was supposed to be. And that's just something I had to battle with all the time. But I'm happy I, I stayed true to my intention and I didn't let other people's fears influence my decision. That is huge. That is huge. I think a lot of IMGs are allowing other people to influence their decision of what they want to do or what they're capable of doing. Let's put it that way. Because once you begin to believe what another person tells you you're able to do, then it almost subconsciously stops you from taking action that opposes that and could position you to do the things that you're being told are not possible for you. So once you internalize those emotions or those words, the next thing you know, it's like you can't figure out why you can't do it. It's because you truly believe other people's opinion of you more than you believe your own personal opinion. And I'm speaking to everyone listening right now. You need to believe yourself before you believe other people. And I speak even as a coach, as someone that tells people, or at least I advise people on options that they can consider. But if you want to advise you, I want you to figure out what you are going to do for yourself that will make you proud, that will make you feel like you actually gave yourself a hundred percent chance. Like you put the bets on you. And I think that's what you've done, Dr. Hedman, is that you did not take other people's opinions to heart. I mean, it sounds like at one point you considered it, but you had to overcome it and you decided I'm going to define this for myself and I'm going to put behind the shame, the guilt or, you know, whatever it is, the explanations that I feel like I owe people. I have to put it behind me because at the end of the day, when I become an obstetrician and you'll notice this, once you get into residency, it would not matter that you were an IMG. It doesn't matter anymore. And it's so amazing that we don't even realize it until you actually start doing it. And then you look back and you're like, man, I, I have the skill set just like everybody else. And I've been trained just like my counterparts and I'm just as good. And obviously hindsight is 2020 and I can say that sitting here, but I'm saying it to encourage you guys that this is possible. Dr. Hedman did it. You can do it. We're all rooting for you. Dr. Hedman, we know there's going to be people on this listening on this podcast today 
who would want to connect with you? How can they find you? Where can they reach out? They may want to ask questions about matching OBGYN as a Caribbean student, and they may want your advice and your direction. Can they reach out to you? If so, where? Yes. Thank you so much. I would love for you to connect with me. You can find me on Instagram, Dr. D-R underscore Hey, it's Nay. H-E-Y-I-T-S-N-A-E. And you can feel free to direct message me, comment under one of my, my, my photos, and we can connect and ask me your questions, and we can have a greater conversation. I would love to help you in any way that I can. All right. We're so honored to have you spend some time with us here on the IMG Roadmap podcast. We wish you the very best. And we hope that you'll come back in the future and give us some more scoop about being an OBGYN resident as an IMG. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I definitely will.